Ahoy, me hearties, and welcome to the Royal Mall Leicester Tigers fans podcast gearing up for, well, for the players, it's 10 days off. We'll still be back here next week. Elliot, grand plans like Ollie Hassel Collins, he was talking about Marrakesh. What, are, are you aligning your holidays with the players? Not in a creepy way, you're not following them. Uh, Marrakesh completed it, mate, so uh, <laughs> old news for me. We, you so. can tell we've just been talking about Jay from the in-betweeners before we hit record. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's fresh in my in my brain to, to say it. No, so I've already been to Marrakesh, so I won't be doing that. Um, but no, I'm, to answer your point, no, I'm not aligning uh, my holidays. Are you planning on sort of seeing where Guy Porter's on holiday and following him or...? Yeah, it's funny you should mention that, actually. Um, I have messaged his security people to ask where he is, and as usual, I've had this, the, the same response as ever to say, this is your last warning before we get the police involved. So I guess wherever the nearest comfortable jail cell is um, at this at this marker. Um, but it good endorsement for Marrakesh there. I've been there, never going back. <laughs> I'd, happily, I'd love to go to Marrakesh again, uh, but obviously... There's other places. Once you've seen somewhere, there's other places to go. Yeah, I don't. I, I, yeah, stuff like that. I think you've got to do once and move on because there's too many nice places. If, if you were <laughs> so a, like, you're if only you're allowed a, a couple of holidays a year in my budget. Mm, no, exactly. But if you were a pro rugby player, you had ten days off. You go anywhere. Where would you go for you know like a week? Marrakesh is probably a good one. Well, like the, the cliche is Dubai, isn't it? So like they're yeah. all cliched in something like Dubai or somewhere party-ish which is a bit weird for me it'd be vegas if i had like if i had two weeks off well like and... castro, like castro did except he didn't well, have two weeks off he was supposed to play in a game and then he went and partied with ibrahimovic in vegas instead yeah like i guess if i was to have two weeks off and i was on decent wedge like the players are i think i would go america and do somewhere well i've got I've, personally i've got an obsession with um, America anyway so I'd love to do like a road trip around some interesting places so I'd probably do somewhere in America that's like interesting you know sort of like historical or, or whatever well during this week you could time it with the Super Bowl now I yeah I'd love to go to well actually any NFL game slightly and it I, is I, in I, Vegas I, this yeah. year oh is it I'm pretty sure I mean that's <laughs> gonna be loose <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah that's that's pretty awful this I holding the Champions League final in Ibiza <laughs> just, imagine, just imagine if an English team got there as well. Like, actually, no, I believe it's actually still probably a bit upmarket for the kind of loose I'm anticipating. Cavos. Imagine that. Champions League final in Cavos. Let's make it happen. Oh, Christ. No, to answer your question, it'd be somewhere in America. We were like a bit of a road trip that ended in Vegas. Um, so you get a bit of, bit of relaxation, a bit of partying, a bit of some, seeing something mm. that's like educational and then come home to uh, get back into the rugby. How about you? Oh, I'd be Italy any day. It's my favourite country outside of uh, God's country, England, of course. In but, February? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not bothered about the temperature. I, I've got to admit, like, Dubai's never appealed to me. I know a lot of people who are expats and mates live out there. They love it. I, I always like all the stuff with, like, the old buildings. got thing, my wife and I, when we, well, before we were kids, thing was we go to a place. There had to be lots of old churches. Neither of us especially... Uh, religious, but you know some of the architecture and the artwork and stuff like that. I, I find amazing. Think favorite place ever w- went was Tuscany. The only problem is, is that I would eat my body weight in pasta. So you know what? What are the things they call where they measure your, measure your skin folds? The the sort of pincer things. You know they. Oh, the clumps. The clumpers. Yeah, no, nah, no, nah, wouldn't be any good for that. Would not be any good for I, that. 
I put on when I did Italy, we were in Italy for I think 10 days, and I put on a sensational amount of weight, just in the amount of carbs that was happening. But Florence is look, Florence was my mm. Florence and the Amalfi Coast in Italy. I would highly recommend anyone who is listening to go and do because they are brilliant. Rome is good fun, but Florence, Florence a bit was a bit of me. Rome, Rome was good fun, it, like when I went, but it did piss it down for an entire sort of like three days that we were there. So kind of you know it it takes the magic out of going to the the forum when you're all of a sudden you know you're basically just having to run between sort of like ancient bits. But anyway, we digressed instead of talking about holiday plans. Let's talk about some rugby. Hell of a win at the stoop on Friday. I think you and I had a slight disagreement over whether or not it was season uh, on the line for that particular game. But I think we can both agree it's a fucking important win uh, with it, and it makes everything look a hell of a lot rosier going into this. Uh, it's a six-week break now before we play again in the league. So that's going to be uh, the focus of this podcast because, of course, there's no game to preview next week. Now, you might be wading in despair at the thought that we're going to have six weeks of no rolling wall podcast or celebrating the fact you're not going to hear us twats bleating down your earphones. But we've got some plans. Some of them are still very loosely formed, whether they'll come together or not. We're hoping to get a few interviews lined up and next week's going to be really good fun we're going to have a bit of a forum ourselves discussing where tigers are in the season we're going to have some i suppose about the more prominent local commentators we've got adam witty joining us uh we've got john whiffin joining us hopefully going to have ethan clamp lesser tigers memes joining us i think that's the plan that's definitely the plan okay ethan if you're listening respond to elliot and get yourself involved and now we've put pressure on you to do it so everyone will know that you've blanked us if you don't appear next week so is that is that coach what I've just done? Probably not, but um, uh, we've done it now. That's no, 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 no. right. Shout outs. I've got one, and then I'll throw over to you because I know you've got a couple that you forgot to do last week. Uh, thank you very much to Cat Brown two thousand three. You left a lovely review for us. He said Ace Pod, which is a very sort of American nineteen nineties fighter pilot sort of way of describing the pod. Thanks very much, Cat Brown. He said interesting, informative, and chatty, as well as not taking itself too seriously. You can say that again. Always insightful, great interviews with excellent guests for Tigers fans. Now, my main listen for the week. Thank you very much. And well, I'll be interested to know if it is still your main listen for the week because we've been completely gazumped by a new podcast that's come out, which is annoyingly excellent uh, from Ben Youngs and Dan Cole called For the Love of Rugby. Do make sure you give it a listen. Uh, it, I don't think it's direct competition. I think it's it's a lovely dessert course if you're a Tigers or England fan because it's mainly just talking about their experiences and some might say you get better insight from people who have over 100 caps for England than listening to two blokes who haven't got within a bear's piss of playing for England. Yeah, I don't even have an England rugby shirt, let alone, um, let alone play <laughs> the, for The only England rugby shirt I've still got is from 2015 when we got knocked out at the group stage. So I, I don't know if I should be keeping that or not. Yeah, so, yeah, it's annoying as well because you can't even give them, like, friendly insults because they're... T- Two of our best players, <laughs> they're, they're club legends in yeah, Lenny and Coley. Both, so both, lovely, like both lovely blokes as well. And and Coley has been stitches. He's he's the most underrated funny guy in in the entirety of rugby. He is hilarious. I reckon he's got a sitcom he could write in him. He could write it. Yeah, I mean it writes itself, doesn't it? Anyway, who are you going to be uh, shouting out to? Yeah, so um, James Wallolo and his lad Archie, uh, who I met after the Leinster game, and Alex, who I had a beer with after the Leinster game. So uh, I said I was going to do a shout out and I completely forgot uh, last week because I'm useless. So apologies, um, all of you. But it was great to uh, share a beer after the Leinster game 
and to put the world to rights for that half an hour that we stood there and uh, chewed the fat over the game. Mm, right, uh, on to the Rolling Wall podcast fantasy league for the Premiership. Forgotten all about that. Did manage to get my changes in just in case. Uh, somehow I, oh, I thought I'd dropped a couple of places. I've not done too badly. I think I'm 34th out of 200. Um, Elliot, we don't need to mention yours. We know that you're sort of lounging around in lower mid-table obscurity. Uh, I got off to a cracking start because I had Hassel Collins uh, playing and I think I had Tyrone Green in as well, who obviously had a very good game. Uh, and then in Bristol Bath, what happened was basically everyone who I selected, I had a lot of Bristol and Bath players. They happened to be the only players that didn't score. So A1. Yeah, well done me. Uh, Matt Gilbert, 10, still sitting on top, t- uh, 2,196 and a half points. The gap has closed, though. You've got Duncan, who is on 2,167 and a half points. And finally, Watsi, 79, 2,111 and a half points. So it is all getting quite tight at the top, a bit like in the league itself. We're probably not going to go too much into sort of like the league ramifications in this episode. We're going to have, like, say, a nice sort of roundtable discussion next week talking about effectively how the season's gone and what the league looks like and where sort of Tigers can look to go next and a bit of recruitment chat. But on this podcast, like I said, we're going to talk about the Quins result. We've also got some transfer rumours to run past you. As always, if you want to leave a review, please do so. And you can get in touch by emailing us at therollingmall at outlook.com. Our Twitter handle is at rollingmallpod. And you can find our Facebook group under the same name. Before we crack on, a quick thank you to our sponsors, St. Martin's Coffee Roasters, who are helping us put this all together. St. Martin's Coffee Roasters are a small team of coffee professionals, proudly born and bred in Leicester. Family owned and operated, they've been dedicated to perfecting the art of coffee roasting for the past 10 years, solely focused on sourcing, roasting and supplying some of the world's best specialty coffee to their customers across Leicestershire and the UK. They're passionate Tigers fans and St. Martins have long-standing connections with the club and are proud to help caffeinate the players and staff in their efforts on and off the pitch. In an effort to help the fans wake up on match days, St. Martins Coffee Roasters are offering 20% off all coffee when listeners use the code ROLLINGBALL, that's all one word, on their website. So visit stmartinscoffee.co.uk to stock up on locally roasted specialty coffee and use the code ROLLINGBALL, all one word, to save 20% off your next purchase. The news section is brought to you by Parish Brewery, who are offering you and your pub free beer. Now that I've got your attention, Parish Brewery award-winning ales are brewed in a 400-year-old converted stable block in Borough on the Hill in rural East Leicestershire. It's here that they follow the traditional ways of brewing, using only the finest ingredients to brew their cask-conditioned beer. In addition to the many beer festival awards, the brewery is the proud recipient of a Guinness Book of World Records award in 1994 for having brewed the world's strongest beer at that time, Baz's Superbrew, and its offspring, Baz's Bonds Blower, is still going strong. Very strong, uh, but absolutely delicious. Now back to the free beer, Parish are offering you the chance to win four perfect pints of their ale to enjoy at your local. All you have to do is tell them on Instagram or Facebook what your favourite parish flavour is. If you're yet to try one, you can check out which one will tickle your taste buds by visiting parishbrewery.co.uk. Not only will you win, but so will your pub, as they'll be gifted a free pin, and that's 36 delicious pints to you and I. So get on your socials 
Tell Paris your favourite flavour and get a chance for some free beer. It's that easy. Participating pubs only. All entrants must be 18 or over. Full terms and conditions apply. Okay, time for the beep, 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 beep news section. Let's uh, start the chat. Well, I think all we've got is rumours, really. I don't want to talk about injuries particularly at this point because we've got a seven-week period, six, seven weeks, where guys can get fit again for the next game. We've obviously got all our England boys and obviously Tommy as well playing in the Six Nations, so goodness knows what shape they'll be in uh, when they come back at the end of the championship. So I think that we don't need to talk about injuries. We can talk about spurious rumour, which is our favourite, and in particular certain transfers, players leaving and potentially coming. We're going to talk about Visa's departure first. Obviously, that's all confirmed. We don't know where to yet. uh, Rumoured to be Japan uh, at the moment, but obviously that might all change. So I think there's an interesting point of discussion, a point of principle about whether or not we are even going to look to replace Visa. I know you and I were quite excited that Evan Roos, the South African giant number eight, uh, very raw, very aggressive number eight, seemed to fit the bill quite nicely, followed Jimmy Whitcomb. We put two and two together probably to make 917, but it was enough for us to start a rumour. Um But the question is whether we are going to look to replace Visa. And Adam Whitty on the Leicester Tigers pod seemed to have an interesting uh, insight on that, didn't he? Yeah, after his interview with Cracknell last week, um, Adam said on the radio that the hints he'd uh, been hearing from the club uh, is that we are not looking to replace him, which is almost, I was listening to it when I was driving, I almost crashed the car, both in shock and anger, um, because I thought we'd be nailed on to to be doing so. Well, yeah, it... It's an interesting one. I've gone to another sort of well-connected source, but again, in the media, not within Tigers, I've got to say that. Um, but he's also said that uh, as far as he understands, he, he doesn't think the club are looking to replace him. And there's a couple of things about that. I think one, if it's true or not, is the first question to ask, because I think we know with Mikella that he'll give the media what he wants to give them. He does give more than Steve, but he'll also say what he wants to say. I remember when he said Montoya was a few weeks away and then, you know, uh, all of a sudden the next day he's named him in his starting lineup to everyone's surprise. So you don't know about that. And there are a couple of good reasons, aren't there, for not telling the press that you're going to be, um, you know, desperately searching for Jasper's replacement. Yeah, absolutely. For me, you've got seven weeks now with no rugby, which means... There's not a lot of Tiger stuff to be talking about. As we've already said, they're going on Ollie for two weeks and there's really not a lot of action that's going to happen. So therefore, to dampen down, for Tigers, for our club, this is probably going to be the biggest transfer sort of story between now and next season is, is the visa replacement. And you've got a prominent journalist in Adam Whitty with the BBC who's, you know, weekly in and around the club. Well, the best thing to do is to, to steer him away from it and say, look, yeah, we're not looking, we're not looking. Kills that pretty much as a conversation piece, stone dead. You know, mm. Adam's not, Adam's now not going to, he can't ask that question because he's just been, yeah, he's been he, told. He can't say, how's the hunt going, can he? No, he, as far as he's concerned, that story's been kiboshed, he's been, clearly Adam's, whatever, whoever it is Adam's been speaking to, but, you know, that's the, from what he's been told is that we aren't looking. And, uh, he's going to look a bit stupid if, if he goes and asks the question because he can't now. So uh, Yeah, exactly. No, think- I've already told you that will be his response. I think the other side of it as well, which I'll mention to you before we hit record, is 
if you think that you go out to the press and say, yeah, we, we obviously need to replace Jasper, and there's an element of desperation about that, if you're an agent for any of the players that we might be looking at, if you can't with a straight face say, look, here's an offer, it's fair, if you don't want to accept it, fine, because we've actually got plans to operate without him next season anyway, then it's harder for that agent to go and say, well, I know you're desperate, so here's our 10% uplift effectively, and what we would usually ask, 20%, whatever it may be, because you know that we need you need this more than we need this. And it, it perhaps levels that playing field out from a negotiation perspective. So, you know, there is that element to it as well. It, I also, you know, there could also just be some sharp wordplay. You know, Jasper is a very unique player, and I don't think there are actually any number eights like him who have the work rate of him. We know that he can do explosive stuff, but actually the way we've been using him this season, you know, sometimes it's something that you and I wonder whether we'd be better employed in the wider channels, you know, actually making less carries, but more explosive ones when he's got a bit more space, he can get a bit of run up, use his speed, use his hand off a little bit, not running into sort of like two or three guys. At the moment, he's used a bit like a workhorse, except off first phase when we do try and sort of launch him, you know, into space. But, you know, it could be that we're being a bit clever with our wording. So we're not looking to replace him with a workhorse. It could be that we expect our second rows to do more of that work, hand row to do more of that work. You know, the, the chugging it up in the middle, just making a metre or two at a time. But actually what we want is that we do want a big number eight, but they're going to be someone who gets less touches, but effectively will get bigger yards from those touches. So it could be just a fact of saying, we don't want to replace Jasper in that way we're replacing him in a sort of a more indirect way. Yes, we're bringing in number eight, but not to do the same role. But if it is true, we're not looking for a number eight. Uh, I am very surprised and slightly worried, but of course the Tigers staff know better than anyone, including us, about how valuable Jasper is. So you assume they have a, a pretty clear plan about what's the best approach to deal with him leaving. Yeah, absolutely. You also got to think that this is McKellar's, will be going into his McKellar's second year. You know, the first year is obviously getting his feet under the table, assessing the squad, assessing how we play and implementing new ideas. He's probably not going to implement all of his ideas at the, at the first point. And he might actually just have actually gone, you know what? Some of the stuff I maybe wanted to bring with me is no longer relevant. He's learning about the premiership. He's learning about European rugby. Actually, some of the stuff maybe he wanted to do, he's coming to park and he's having to adapt as he, as he goes along. It might be something that what he wants from number eight you, know, you have to remember is this squad isn't McKellar's. You know, none of that's really only just two or three players that McKellar's brought with him, one of which is now gone in Joe Powell. It's, it's Sam Carter and and Catter are pretty much the only two, I would say, players in the squad that you'd call McKellar's men. The rest are players that was either signed under Steve, Wiggy, or or historic legacy players like Lenny and Coley, and so on and so forth. So it is fascinating to see how this pans out because ultimately there's going to be how what we think we need as number eight is probably different to maybe what where McKellar sees it and where McKellar sees the evolution of this squad. Because you have to think about this. McKellar, as is already said uh, before in on the um, in interviews, he sees this as a three, four year project. You know, he sees this as he wants to be in for the long term, he wants to develop tigers, he wants to go on a journey with us. Well, if he's looking at it going, you know what, maybe to evolve the squad, you know, we've talked about how he started playing, you know, obviously there's challenges going on around the garden coaching situation but you know he has an idea of how he wants to take the squad and evolve the playing style that's going to be borne out in recruitment and how we recruit moving forward because you know especially if he wants to see this in the long term it might 
we'll see some changes in how we recruit people or the style of players we recruit. So that's just a change from having Steve and Wiggy as head coaches to having Dan. So it's just it'd be fascinating to see how this all plans out because these signings now are going to be McKellar signings or McKellar approved signings um, compared to before. Yeah, um, it, I think for us less educated types, it, it, it seems unthinkable that you wouldn't replace such an important player and try and bring in, you know, such a powerful player because Visa is so important to how we play. But I, I do wonder as he's become more of that sort of workhorse player, whether that is actually something that's easier to replicate with guys in the squad. However, you know, is Hather all the guys to do that? You know, that that's a hard. That's a hard thing to answer. He was very, very well handled. That's what all our forwards, actually, to be honest, in the in sort of the tight exchanges, uh, I thought by Quinn's, you know, sort of get smashed back a couple of times. Um, that's more of a credit to Quinn's defence than than us. Um, Visa obviously regularly makes meters one, two meters at a time, and he's getting a hell of a lot of touches. So, you know, we're expecting less, and perhaps you know, now he's so well marked, it's not such a practical thing for us to do to kind of try and get him to do the miracle runs, you know, two, three times a game, but he still somehow manages to do it. But watch his space, I guess. Right. Loose heads. Let's have a quick chat about loose heads. Cause you've heard a couple of uh, rumors of a couple of departures. I think one of them was reasonably well known. One of them is relatively hot off the press. Yeah. As we understand it, um, James Cronin will be off at the end of the season. Um, that's the sort of rumor we're hearing along the, along the waves. Um, Somehow, I, 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 I'm torn on this one. I go, I love Cronin, but at the same point, he's about to turn 34. He is prone to a very sloppy penalty, <laughs> as we saw on Friday night, as our head coach um, voiced the displeasure <laughs> he, over. He didn't have his best game. We'll put it that way. I really like Cronin. He didn't have his best game, and he did get hauled off. I think he followed up that missed penalty with, I think, two missed tackles as well. Uh, and he got sort of dragged off straight afterwards uh, for Jimmy Whitcomb, who I thought looked really solid off the bench. Really solid. He's having a good year, Jimmy. Every time he's one of those that I always think deserves more minutes. Every time I've seen him play, I've always been impressed with him. Just his all-round work. So, and it, we understand that we think Van Vake is probably offered at the end of the season as well, which means that's not just one loose head um, hole, but two. And in such a crucial position, um, that obviously needs um, that obviously needs fixing. Yeah, and then we get into the rumor mill straight away. Uh, there's a couple of names. There's one chap who was with us recently who's now at Saracens, um, who you think is only on a one-year deal. He might want to come back. He had a very successful time here. Yeah, I think West, he only did sign a one-year deal with Saracens. So. Tom, Tom West, that is, uh, to everyone listening. And he had a very impressive six-month spell with us. I was, and I know he's had a tough time with things down at Saracens this year, but they don't... I think there's a couple of issues at Saracens in general, to be fair, but they don't really... They're not quite as forward focused as as what we are. They they do an all round game, whereas we're very much forward orientated. And I think when he was with us and that heavy forward orientation that we do during the week, he seemed to benefit from it. And he put in some really good um, performances, both in his tight working a tight at set piece and in the loose. I was I was really impressed with with Westy. I'd happily have him back in some sort of capacity. And there's another loose head that. Is once of this parish mm. that um, <laughs> and we've we've been teasing this rumor before. It's not even a rumor because it's it's not really based on anything. Uh, Mister Ellis, Gen- yeah, it's a hunch. Mister Ellis Genge, obviously, uh, title winning captain. Lest we forget, departed a couple of years ago. We know that that was for personal reasons. 
I think you and I have both heard from separate sources, both pretty well connected, that uh, he's he's not having the best of times at Bristol. I don't think his scrummaging has improved. I'll put I'll put it that way. I think that um, he doesn't see eye to eye with Pat Lamb on a lot of things. And you know, not seeing eye to eye with the coach is fine, but as I understand it, he uh, Pat Lamb is is less inclined to have those discussions with players. That could all be bollocks, of course, um, but say that the person who I've heard that from is usually right. So that's quite interesting. We, he's obviously also got his local business here, hasn't he? Yeah, we, which is literally a stone's throw from the ground. I mean, with one good punt down a Welford Road, he, he'd be in the um, he'd be hitting the plaza. So, it, it, look, we we know Genji is only recently departed, which means. The relationships with the players are there. We want, in simple facts, we want a loose head. Ellis Genji's a loose head. You've got to imagine at some level, there is some form of discussion that has either took place or is taking place. Whether it's on a very, very low level or on high level, there is some, there's got to be some form of conversation that is going on between there, the two a, parties. Just gauge there's, interest. There's, there's at least a sniff. I mean, they like say if, if everything isn't rosy at Bristol, and he can fix the the travel issues. Obviously, we know he left for personal reasons, and there can be an agreement about that. And yeah, I can imagine that because he left us. I don't think that we'd want to be necessarily tapping him up. But you know, say if he's not particularly happy, you can imagine his agent, for example, getting back in touch to just kind of like test the water. Might have already happened. We might have already said no thanks. Um, you know, his his cost pricing might not fit with what we're looking to do. There's lots and lots of elements, not saying it's going to happen at all, but, it, you know, they're, they're, that would seem one of the uh, avenues that we'd be likely to explore. If we go into the realms of absolute dreamland, uh, I could be wrong on this. I was searching when Ox and Shea's contract <laughs> expires. Uh, and I th- the last thing I could hear was that he was basically signed up to the end of uh, the 2023 season, which I don't know if that means effectively the end of this season. Uh, in South Africa. So, um, obviously, if you're looking for the world's best scrummaging loose head, there he is. Uh, the man that says you don't win win scrums with salad, um, I think would fit in quite nicely at Leicester. I mean, I've got a whole load of um, nice cafes and cake places and bakeries and patisseries in Leicestershire that would, uh, that would surely uh, get him interested. Look, look I think there's, there's certainly going to be some interesting names knocking around. We know Westy. Um, did a good job with us. Genji obviously goes without saying. Um, there's the Argentinian prop. Is it Gallo? Thomas Gallo. Um, I'm a I'm a fan of, and we've very, always done well with Argentinian. Yeah, loose heads. We've done yeah. well with Argentinian props before. Uh, you know, Sutherland has been a name that's mentioned previously for Sketty. There's a name that's obviously that's done around before. So look, there's obviously diff- there's decent level. Um, you've got De Bruyne up at Edinburgh. Uh, it was with Tigers before as well. So. Um, he always had a really we... strange stay, I thought. There were some times when I thought he looked one of the most dominant scrummagers I'd seen in a Tigers shirt. And other games when he looks you know, completely all at sea. So I, I seem to remember he did his better work on tight head because didn't he play both sides? Yes, he played one game against Breathe at tight head and completely marmalised their loose head with one of the most awesome shoves I've ever seen. And that was the only time I actually saw him at a tight head shirt mm. for Tigers the rest of the time mm. he was on the loose but he was absolutely destructive in that one that one scrum I just he turned his opposite number inside out left right centre upside down and yeah yeah it's really did a job on him but um, no, so I think there's got look we, I think 
from what we've heard, we think two loose heads are off. And obviously, you've still got Cameron Mile, who's a real promising well, the, the, loose head in the... This is what I was going to say, because you, do you want to bring in two? Because I think Jimmy Whitcomb is at least ready to make that step up to number two. In which case, are you looking at, at filling in someone at, at number three? Uh, and we've, we're hearing really good things, albeit they're young, um, about um, a, a couple of the academy prospects, aren't we? Yeah, Cameron Mile is obviously with England in the 20s and has been in the RFU's front five um, school of excellence that they've, they've set up where they've got a real focus on promising front five forwards that go in and do specialised training, which is a separate point, an unbelievably good initiative, which is almost too good for the RFU to have thought up them by their own. So I'm presuming oh, they've nicked that too. idea. Very good. Yeah, they've nicked it from somewhere, clearly. You can't have been thought up by them. But uh, no, it's a very, very good thing. But he's there, and obviously that sort of, Specialist tutelage is only going to be a benefit for him. You know, as a loose head, he's going to be at club level, he's going to be going against Hazy and Coley. And um, the rumour is that he is highly thought of um, at the club. And then you've got another one, which is Archie van der Fleer, who's a little bit older, but has been on Nottingham on loan and has been getting pretty much weekly action for Nottingham in the Championship, both as a starter and off a bench. And at 2021, and you're playing regularly in the championship, that usually is a pretty good setup to get you into um, higher level rugby in the premiership. You know, you like the likes of Ches and the, obviously others have gone off down to the um, championship at that sort of age. And that's really done them a lot of good to get men's rugby stand up to the test. Jimmy Wickham himself played a bit of, bit of national one and a bit higher as, as well. So look, Can, he's on the right track. spent a season at Bedford. And, you know, you you do, as I say, I think, think particularly in the tight five, um, we, we know sort of obviously there is a gap between the championship and the premiership. But in terms of actually the, you know, kind of like that strength, that, that man strength that, you know, these kids need to develop, it's a good test for that. It's game experience as well, because you can do all the scrums in the world Monday to Friday, but actually going up against, you know, fully grown men, hardened professionals, people that have been, you know, wily old props that have been around the block a few times and know all the tricks of the trade and you're having to go up against them in a week. You know, the championship is a great testing ground for this sort of stuff where you've got to go up and find, like we said before, actually learn to fail, you know, learn to fail and learn how to find the solutions to problems, especially at scrum time, which is such a thing where you got to think on your feet and you're tested. It's all like, there's no hiding place almost in the, in the scrum. So for him to be getting regular game time, I think it's really fantastic. So, and he's a big lad as well. For twenty twenty one, he's like one hundred and twenty kgs. He ain't he ain't small. He ain't you know. He's gonna be he's packing the punch. So those two lads, I think, are really promising. So it does you know the coaches see those guys every week. They will make that call on on how ready they are. But it does mean that it might necessitate you only need one loser to come in. And you're happy with what we've got. But I think it's a fascinating, you know, few months in terms of what we do in the forwards. Oh, let's get into it then, Elliot. Nice to have a win to talk about for the first time in a few weeks. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? It's good. It's better to do. We always say it's better to record with a win. 
yeah, always slightly longer analysis as well, rather than, yeah, it was shit, right, next, end recording. Um, this was, I thought, a phenomenal effort for the boys. 19 points to 20. We win. Lots of last-minute drama. We'll come to that. Um, but this was our third game in 18 days, and that's off the back of playing um, La Rochelle and Leinster, two of the best sides in Europe, most physical sides in Europe. I think by the end you could tell the boys were sort of on their last legs. Quinn's looked a bit less tired, but frankly they haven't had to play teams anywhere near the calibre that we've had to play over the last four. And Saris the week before that as well. Actually, it's a real triple header into the Saris, into La Rochelle, in, into um, Leinster. That's pretty. That's a pretty minging free, and then into Quinn's away. I mean, when you start adding it up, like Bath the week before that, that's a real toughie. So yeah, it's, it's a no wonder the boys are pretty, pretty, pretty tired. They've earned their 10 days off, put it that way. No, completely agree. So, 90 boys 20, it is an important win. I said it wouldn't be season ending if we lost. I um, stick by that, but it does make our running look a lot better, doesn't it? Now, we, I said we weren't going to go into the table. I think it's worth saying it a little bit. We've got the same winning record as the team in second. Wolverhampton well, Saints, unfortunately, Currently, have got themselves a nice cushion on the top, but deservedly so because they're playing some great stuff uh, and winning matches. Um, you look at the run-in, got uh, Bristol, got Gloucester and Exeter at home, haven't we? Those are three games. I mean, Exeter are obviously very, very good. And you know, Bristol and Gloucester both got wins. They can be very dangerous, but those are three games we would hope we'd win. Win your home games. We've always said that for the rest of this. And then I think, you know, we'd want to try and pick up uh, an away win in Newcastle. Uh, and then obviously you've got Saints away and Sale away. And Sale you know, at the moment are having a horrible time of it. Bad luck with injuries and seem to be off confidence as well. So, yeah, everything, everything's still to play for now. Yeah, 100%. It was fascinating, the, um, the work. Oh, there was an article last week by a friend of the pod, Charles Richardson, that was talking about game swings. Because it, last weekend was probably one of the more consequential weekends of the season and we spoke about last week where you know there's some real fascinating matchups of of sides in and around us in the table and how it was going to bear out with obviously with England internationals being away the swing of our game for us as a team was unbelievable where we started off I think with a 20 before Friday night's game I think it was a 26 or 27 percent chance of making the playoffs if we lost to Quinns that would have dropped to 16 percent so it's not terminal but it does have a pretty shattering um, effect on our on our chances. But we had something like a twenty eight percent swing upwards by winning. So actually, by winning, we went to fifty six percent of reaching the top four, and it drops before the uh, weekend. Queens had like a seventy percent chance of hitting the top four, and they had a twenty eight percent drop in making the top four by losing. So it, it was a real violent swing between us and. Quins in terms of importance of the, the win. So just by winning that, and obviously we all know this, this stuff you have to take with a pinch of salt because we had an 8% chance last year and we, we blew that one out of the water. But it is fascinating to go from 28% up to 56% just in one win. And uh, to go into um, the shutdown, you know, it's two months off now. Like we said last week, it would have been horrible, 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 horrible if you'd have lost it because that's three weeks in a row you'd have lost. There'd have been a fair amount of noise. There'd have been a whole lot of chatter about stuff. It'd have been uncomfortable for the club. It would have been uncomfortable for McKellar. 
And it just wouldn't have been a nice atmosphere around talking about Tigers. And whereas now, you look at it, we're in the pack, we're in the mix, we're off, we're only a handful of points off second. So suddenly, a home semi-final, which we've all discounted as being dead and buried. Weirdly, that's now obtainable. I mean, we're still going to need to get top four first. But suddenly, you've brought top two into play. The next two months off, you know, there's, you can rest up. It's going to be fascinating now how this two months affects everyone because obviously this is unprecedented. No one really knows how this is going to play out. But effectively, it's going to affect some teams both positively in terms of its chance to rest up, reset, go through your systems and come out the gates firing when we come back in. Or it's going to go opposite way where it stops momentum, it stops. Um, you know, people just want to keep playing. They might pick up some injuries with boys away in the Six Nations. They might pick up some injuries on training. So all of this stuff has a real bearing on how we go into it. But it just means that just by winning and just by winning one game, we go into the shutdown in a real strong place. And we're in, we're in the mix now. You, know, we can't, you can't have that, take anything away from us at the moment. No, absolutely. I, I would say if we'd have lost, I think top two would have become a very minute possibility. I think it's obtainable. It's on the cards. Certainly not a, a dead cert. Top four, likewise, is not a dead cert. But I would say, you know, now it feels like it's in our, our hands, which I think is is really positive considering where the, the team was, um, you know, at the start of the season. Let's talk about the game itself. Uh, for me, that is one of the best performances of the season. Not perfect by any means, but I think the way we approached it, uh, a change of style, um, slightly just to basically take, avoid taking on Quinns at their own game. We played a, a very good kicking game, blew them out of the water of the kicking game, certainly in the first hour, but we still played some good rugby and we certainly played with a lot more ambition to try and beat the blitz. And, you know, one of the things we complained about before was how he seemed to struggle with the midfield blitz. And we actually sort of really took it to them and tried to bypass that with some long passes. Some of them were a bit ropey. But the ambition to actually say, okay, we're not just going to try and kick the pants off you. We're actually going to, once we get in the right areas, we are going to try and get round your blitz and give the ball to our danger man, Ollie Hustle Collins, who we'll come on to later. I thought it was a really positive performance and the guts of the guys to stick in there at the end was, was super impressive. I thought it was a really nice balance between old Leicester in terms of kick game, kicking game, that structural piece, which we know we're really good at. But I thought it was a really nice balance and blend between that side of things and our ambition using the backs and like you say there was some moves there was some shape to it there was ambition and I do think that we as soon as Ollie Hazel Collins is on the field that we are a bit more ambitious in terms of how we want to play I do think he's a bit of a focal point for us where we know if we get him a bit of space we can and we get him on the ball he can do some stuff you know we saw last week against Leinster we're trying to get the ball out to him and when he did get the ball, he was making yards and he was beating his man. This week, same again, you know, he, he sets up Brownie for his try, there's some real nice moments and interplay in amongst it. So, I just thought, well, I, was, I agree with you, it was, whether it's performance of the season, I'm not sure, but what I did like about it was just that blend of the different things coming together and it was real cleverly fought and you could see that they'd worked on stuff. That's what I liked about it. You could see they'd got a game plan, mm. you see they'd done their analysis on Quinns and you could see exactly what they were trying to do to one the gate Quins and actually get the best out of us and I thought it was really clever yeah exactly and Quinn's in a great vein of form such a dangerous site obviously like Tigers missing their England contingent and for them their their attacking spine of Don Brown, Karen Smith I, I feel 
probably affected them more, which I'm quite surprised at, than the scrum did, uh, where obviously Dan Richardson made his first premiership start, fourth choice tight head. We'll come to Dan in a minute because he deserves sort of like a, his own little section of praise, I think, for how he stood up on that game. Um, going to the game itself, first quarter was was quite cagey. There was a lot of kicking. Um, neither side at that stage, st- you know, particularly getting a lot out of it. We certainly seemed to be pretty secure in what we were doing in terms of retaining the ball when they kicked. Very clever blocking lines, which the commentators complain about, but everyone does it, and I think we we do it particularly well at the moment. So that was really smart. Put a lot of pressure on Max Green, the scrum half for Quinns, who didn't have his best day uh, at the office at all. But I think missing Will Porter for them was, was uh, you know, Danny Kerr's absence was was a big loss for them in that regard. The the old handling errors came to the fore again. We we looked to be getting some promising positions, placing quick ball. Surprisingly, it was Tom Whiteley who, you know, over the last year has sort of really improved his passing accuracy and speed. But there were a couple that were behind players, one along the floor to Polly. I think Cassie then dropped to Gimme as well off Kelly. Uh, these were the kind of things that we've spoken about before as being real gimmies. You know, these are these are guys that are know how to catch and know how to pass. I don't see this as being particularly a coaching thing. Did you have a feeling at that time to say, oh, God, it's going to be another frustrating day at the office? Yeah, it, it's it's frustrating because it's the same old story happening. And obviously, you know, you talk about seven weeks. That's a major thing for us to get to work on. You know, we've got to be really, really be- much better at cutting out the just the soft errors, you know, coach killers. And stuff like those poor passes, poor drops, they just kill all momentum because we're actually building up a nice bit of momentum in those moves. And we're starting to gravitate into a bit of shape. But as soon as you just drop the ball or throw a poor pass, you just undermine all the good stuff that's gone before it. So, you know, away from home as well, you want to build in, you want to get into the game and build some momentum. It did feel a little bit like, oh, come on, boys. We do need to be sharp on this. I think um, one thing that, that did improve as it went on certainly was the kicking game. It looked like we had the edge... I think Jared Evans uh, missed a touch from penalty final but by a long way, and I think he missed a couple. Andre Esterhausen, uh, obviously such a dangerous player, as we saw from his near wonder try that was disallowed for offside. Um, you know, he, even he with the boot, he's got a really good kicking option. He was off as well, I thought, with his kicking. So I thought the effectively the way we took control of the kicking game and took control of the territory in that first half was super impressive. Tom Whiteley's kicking was pretty much bang on the money, apart from one at the end of the half, which we'll get to. But I don't know if you noticed it, as you're watching the game, you found yourself just more and more looking, you know, the camera was looking more and more to the right of the screen. It never looked left. Quinns didn't build anything in our half whatsoever. And we shut them down, I thought, really well defensively as well. Um, they weren't able to get much ball. And I think, you know, we, we questioned whether not having a fetcher on by Ilioni at seven, considering how uh, much we we missed a fetcher in the home fixture, was a smart decision. But I think it was the right decision. You've got to hold your hands up. Say so again, well done to the coaching staff because uh, Crackers, he, you know, he wasn't over the ball all the time. But what he was doing was he was hitting rucks very, very hard. And certainly for the first half, uh, Evans didn't get a look in either um, over the ball. And I thought we were looking really, really promising. Um, let's go and have a chat, quick chat about the scrum because we did concede a fair few penalties. Interestingly, it wasn't Dan Richardson's side. Uh, you could see that Baxter was really going for him. And, you know, I'm sure if they'd have been told to keep scrummaging until one of you falls, I'm sure Baxter would have got the nudge on. But, you know, the, this is a guy who 
you know, hasn't been trusted a lot. He hasn't always looked brilliant when he's come onto the pitch before, but I, I thought he should really hold his head up high because he was really solid. You can see Baxter properly going for him. He dug his heels in. He massive upper body strength, basically, to hold that side up. Cronin, on the other hand, you know, again, I know he wasn't happy with a few decisions. I, I, I thought they mostly looked all right, actually, in terms of him being penalised for going down. But Collier isn't known as being an illegal scrummager. The, the issues seem to be happening on Cronin's side. Uh, which was a surprise and, and obviously a bit worrying. But on our own ball, I thought we were pretty good. We we're pretty clever. Obviously, pretty much allowed to feed the ball in now. And what we would do was basically put it in behind the front row, go to the second row, sort of a gentle hook by one of them. And, and then, you know, Whiteley could lean into the scrum and get it out, which again, you're allowed to do these days. So it, we were pretty good on our own ball up until the very end of the game. And I, I think Richardson, you know, he got his hands on the ball as well. He made his, he made his tackles. I thought, you know, if you want to go to show everything that's good about Tigers, that heart, that guts, um, I think that he did that. I thought he, he had a fantastically solid game. And I'm not saying solid in sort of, you know, damned with faint praise. I'm saying that that's exactly what we needed from him and he delivered. You also got to remember his work rate as well. He did the whole 80 minutes. Whole 80, which exactly. is a un- massive shift. Brilliant from him. 80 minutes, 19 tackles. I don't know if he missed any, but even if he did, you know, 19 tackles is, is an incredible effort. You know, he just did what you always expected of him. He hit his rocks. He cleared out. He didn't get his hands on the ball, but he doesn't need to get his hands on the ball. Coley and Hayes, he don't do that much of it. Hayes did a little bit, bit more, but we know Coley doesn't really touch the ball. So he did all the nuts and bolts of the sort of work you have to do. He got involved at mall time. He was mauling. He was rucking. He was, you know, clearing out. And he scrummed. And he scrummed. And he made his tackles. And you end up going, you know what? And he did that for 80 minutes. 80 minutes in a in a real physical position that takes it out of you. You end up going, you know what? Fair play to you. You did exactly what you were asked to do. You didn't let the side down. You came in, you've done a job, and you've done it well. And he like he should, he should be very, very proud of it. And actually, you know what? Yeah, he hasn't had much game time. It's tough when you've got three lads ahead of you, three of which now are either internationals or in Herdy's case, close to, you know, you aren't going to get loads of um, game time per se. But actually, he showed that in a premiership game, when he was needed, he came on, did a job. And actually, that's, as a squad thing, that's a real good attribute to have to know that in our mm. fourth choice tight head, fourth choice, actually, has come in and done a job for us. So, no, look, fair play to him. I'd, to me, it's the 80 minutes thing. Whether it, like, you can talk about all the, other, the, the nuts and bolts of his performance. But to go to 80 minutes, I think is an unbelievable effort, an unbelievable achievement. That says a lot about him as a person that is able to do that. And actually, the strength and conditioning coaches at Tigers, that they've got the boys in a position where in a real physical position like that, they've just done, like Julian did 78 minutes. So there you go. The two front row boys did an excellent shift. So hats off to the S&C boys. Absolutely. Yeah, massively solid performance by him. I think his stock rises in the team a lot more now because of that as well. I think he's he, he should hopefully find himself trusted in those games a lot more because he, he certainly earned it from that performance. So, yeah, well done, Dan. Um, go 3-0 up. I uh, say this is when we're starting to pinch the uh, the aerial battle. I think Brownie gets tackled off the ball. Polly smacks one over from about 40 metres. Beautiful kick, uh, as we've come to expect, off the floor. And, you know, there was a magnificent touchline conversion later on as well. Um, one... Key player in the kick battle, I mentioned Whiteley's good kicking. Um, 
But on a rewatch, he had an absolutely massive game, and he didn't get enough praise, I don't think, was Hanro. I mean, a couple of times he was offside, and, and the ref missed it until the TMO said, I'll remember to, to look out, Hanro's offside of it. But he was absolutely monumental. He was there threatening. To, I know he got at least one turnover. He was making his tackles. He was everywhere. And on the kick chase, I think he was probably our most successful chaser in terms of getting up, getting his hands on the ball, either making it a mess for them or actually retaining possession for us. I thought this was Hanro at close to his best. I thought he was magnificent. Yeah. You talk about the eight out of 10 club, you know, just going about your business, getting it done, but getting it done well, going under the radar a little bit in the process. Yeah. I thought Hanro was, was that turnover he did, I thought was fantastic. You know, he's like you said, with no nominated fetcher on the, on the field, you needed boys to step up in that regard. So for him just to chip in with, with a turnover and a turnover at a crucial point as well. That was a big, big moment. So thing with Hanway, when he's at his best, he looks every inch an international that should that isn't one. He's always, he's probably one of the best players in the premiership to to be a non-international. Um and stuff like Friday night really showed his his leadership. You know, stuff like with the Andre Hesterhausen non-try. He was the one that got straight into Yeah. Hanro's not great for talking to the referees. We know he's not the chirpiest of people when talking to the refs. But actually, that was really good from Hanro because he was the first one to go offside, get that offside look to that. Mm. And actually, that painted... I, to be fair to Foley, and I will say this for Tom Foley, I thought he had a good game. I thought I Tom Foley had a very good game on Friday. I thought he had a really good game. I thought, like I said, I thought the scrums, I thought he got right as much as it annoyed me that I thought we'd be done over. But I thought he was right. Um that was a big call. I think he missed a couple of knock-ons, but I say these things happening in live time, um, I think there was a couple for both sides that he missed, but you're certainly not going to kick up a fuss about that. I thought he had a really good game and it was a really intriguing game that he let flow pretty well. I thought his communication was very good as well. The We do score a try uh, and Q2 was really good to see us. As I say, we really started to push the envelope in terms of getting the ball wide. Again, not always perfect. Like I mentioned before, there was a lovely offload by Shilly at one point. But I noticed every time he got to Hassel Collins, he was always beating someone. He had a cracking battle with Nick David, who, who got him with a couple of try savers. But in between those, every time he got the ball, he was getting bumped off by Hassel Collins. He was getting stepped. Um, he was just getting done on an angle. And of course, it, 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 it was a, a, the mythical beast of a first phase move, midfield move from the Leicester Tigers, which saw somebody go straight through. I, I can't remember the last time we saw one of those. And it was... Hassel Collins coming round and it was, you know, sort of the, the old double wrap where he's hidden. He appears late minute, uh, last minute. And Joseph, Will Joseph, who's a fantastic player outside centre, just turned his shoulders in a fraction. And Hassel Collins picks that gap. And Joseph is no slouch. He is quick and he gets left for dead. Nick David, very, very quick, gets across well. Uh, yeah, Hassel Collins, fantastic over that first 20, 30 metres, just seemed to tighten up a little bit. Otherwise, it would have been one of the tries of the season for us. And and then, unfortunately, Kata throws um, a pass which you know, should have should have gone for a walk-in for Shilcock. He didn't have to put it that that flat. It was it was about a metre forward. That said, you do see them get get allowed these days. But actually, for Kata on that pass, when we're going back the other way, he actually didn't need to throw the long pass to Shilcock. If he'd have done the short one to Brown, because I think David was sort of in no man's land. I think Brown's Brown's walking in as well. I think Brown gave him Mikey gave him a bit of an earful for that as well. But that was sort of another butchered try where I held hold my head in my hands and I thought, oh my goodness, what have we done? But instead, luckily, we score off the following line out, and it's from something that I have never seen work. 
for Tigers. Certainly not this season. You know, a front peel move rather than just, you know, a good old catch and drive. Yeah, the front peel move, which we always seem to get done for it, not going five or somebody gets tackled into touch, actually worked this time. You know, ball around the front, goes to Visa, he rolls his way over. Good try. Nice to see that work. And actually, the line-out was a fantastic all game. Yeah, it's just nice to see a move like that pull off. Like you said, we've tried it a few times, so for it to come off is, is great. So I was, I was really, it was just a benefit, it was a real comfort blanket for us just because like we'd butchered a couple of opportunities and you, you, you don't want that to linger and you don't want that to be a missed opportunity like it's been in the previous weeks. So that would have real, been a real energy killer for the team, but you just go, oh, here we go again. So for it to work straight after the Decatur forward pass, is really, really good. And it meant that we'd, you know, we came, it was important we came away from points in that, in that moment. So, like you say, it was good to get a move going. Um, it, but you just wonder if it was something that the analysts had seen to Quinn's maybe a bit vulnerable to it. So it was good to uh, get it going. Yeah, absolutely. It was a um, well taken try. And like I said, we, we had absolutely dominated that first half to a point where we probably should have been uh, more points in front. As it was, we hadn't taken all our chances as always, and um, it only took Quinn's one, as we know, with them to score. And Tyrone Green, I thought, was sensational. Um, and if they'd have won, he'd have probably got deservedly player of the match, uh, despite Catter picking his pockets at one point hilariously, uh, sort of nonchalant turnover uh, when they ran into each other. That was quite funny. But it, it's the one loose kick from Whiteley goes up, goes too short. We have to back away because it's within the ten. So they get an easy ball retention there and then it goes wide and all of our players who have been involved in that chase, they've got an overlap and there's just this disconnect between Catter and Kelly. Kelly shoots up, Catter stays flat. I think Catter's making the right decision. He recognises, hang on, they've got a bit of an overlap. I can't get up and shut this down. So I'm actually going to tread water, I'm going to stay flat and just let my inside defence come across and we'll sort of, we'll drift as the ball goes. Kelly, by going up, creates this dog leg and Green goes straight through, sets up a lovely try for David. And you know, Kelly, aside from that, I thought had another really, really good game. Um, but it, it was frustrating, wasn't it? Because all of a sudden they're within three and they were nowhere near us the entire first half. This shows you what Quinns are about as a side where you've always got to be on it. You've got, you've got to be always thinking, always be alive to dangers because they are such a team that can strike Literally out and over. That's just one loose kick and they've exploited it. You know, that's a real, just one moment and it's completely killed us. And it just shows you that, you know, this is where you talk about sort of big moments in games. You've just got to be relentless in terms of not being sloppy, executing, or you've got to be always looking to execute properly. And that's just where it's just one bad kick. You know, you talk about all the good kicks we've done before. One bad one puts us in trouble. We're out of position, knock on effect of all of it. It's been literally seconds you under the post and suddenly that healthy lead that you've got is gone and the game, the whole game dynamic has changed. And it's just a lesson for us for, for you know, post shutdown in terms of these moments where we're just going to be so, so clinical in everything that we do about our game. Uh, it, it can, as it's said, we are going to play against teams who are dangerous and it can cost us. So in this instance, it does make for, you know, it's a painful half time actually because you do go, oh, we're away from home, we're playing well, but actually we should be further ahead. It's not quite as good as what it could be, and 
thankfully this time around it didn't it didn't cost us no exactly and i think then the worry i i, I start to get the heebie-jeebies at the start of the second half when uh i think the score was 10-7 and then james cronin commits this like i don't know what he's thinking balls clearly on their side and he sort of comes around the side and just like farts into the flat, uh, into the scrum half and at that point mullins went to uh, Dan McKellar for the interview, and he sounded absolutely rancid. He was fuming. Uh, I've only heard that once before. That was at half time after half time in the Stormers game when he was fuming. And again, Nick Mullins said, well, "I'm going to have to cut that one short because he's fuming." And it was a couple of stupid penalties, unfortunately for us, that led to Quinns getting their their second try, taking the lead. Jack Walker getting from Rolling. I didn't see the ball grounded, but Foley's much closer than I did, so got to go with the ref's call, but. Again, sort of like the epidemic of discipline that we've talked about before. You know, someone makes a mistake, then somebody else makes one. Uh, and we really didn't have to, we put ourselves under pressure really at the start of that second half. It's a soft penalties, isn't it? We're especially in, in a, I want to say, safe area of the pitch. You know, if you're not, someone might have the ball, but they're not endangering our line, they're not endangering our 22. So when you're in that moment, you've got. We know that we've got a strong defence. We know we're well organised. Yeah, we know we, that we're, we're a tough. Nut we're, we're, crack. Smashing, we're smashing them in the middle, and we're we're dominating the kicking game. You don't need. To, it's not like you think. Oh my goodness! If they put this ball wide, we're going to get torn apart. I need to take a risky move, like trying to take out their nine or something like that. You don't need to. You can say, right, kick it back to us, lads. You're playing the game we want. We want you to play. Um, I thought the allegations from some Quinns fans that we were playing boring rugby was quite ironic oh sorry lads should we have come along and played the game plan you wanted us to absolute bullshit but um you know we were playing a really smart brand and varied brand of rugby uh i just thought that was the kind of thing that does kill it because it does make let them take as you say a safe area and make it into a dangerous area especially in the first half their only, their only moment of getting through us comes from our mistake which we've just talk, spoken about it's not as if we're being cut open you know, we've like you said, we're in a game, we're playing our game plan, it's working, we're resolute, we're physical, we're doing exactly what we should be doing. In these moments, again, it's an area for us to work on. We are too loose, it's giving away a soft penalty. And we spoke about this last season. We're actually pretty good in the number of penalties we give away. Is even in this game, it's not a, a number, it's not a number of penalties each week that looks to me and goes, Oh, it's an issue. But we are really, really susceptible to a stupid penalty, and it's the it's the the quality of the penalty given away, not the quantity. If that makes sense, and too many times we invite pressure onto us by having some a team exactly where we want it. And there's a couple of times where referee interpretations go against us. You know, last week's Tommy's penalty, we both disagree with referee's interpretation. That goes against you sometimes, but we are too loose at our own times. And we just need to be really tight and we need to be a lot better in terms of actually, it's going to cost us whether it's field position or points on the scoreboard. Or like you've just said, that was, a, you know, it's an indirect try that's been scored because we're in a safe area. You can see the stupid penalty. They're suddenly in our 22. We then concede points from it a certain amount of phases later. That's all unnecessary. It's completely, completely, completely unnecessary. And you just go, this is how coaches get annoyed. And so what you saw from McKellar is probably... He'd been saying that in his commentary box. Do you know what I mean? He'd been he'd probably been effing and jeffing a little bit more than what he was doing with Nick Mullins. But that's the sort of you can see the visceral frustration on his face and in his voice because it's exactly the sort of stuff. Like he said, 
We said exactly this in the change room. Do not give them fucking stupid penalties. And what does he do? He gives them a stupid penalty. It just, it's just, it's just a bit of rugby intelligence we need to be a bit sharper at because in a title winning year, those are the sort of stuff we were very, very sharp at. And in the running last season, when we started winning the games, again, we were really, really sharp at, at conceding a better quality of penalty. Um, I was really pleased with how we bounced back. First, it was notable that Cronin came off. I think he missed a couple of tackles as well sort of soon after that penalty. You know, not necessarily blaming him for missing Tyrone Green because he was beating guys in, you know, a box for fun. He was he was looking sensational. Esterhausen was also sort of making yards. Um, you, you know, the, these were points where I thought we needed to get momentum back quickly. And to our credit, the rest of that sort of third quarter, we did. And again, the camera was constantly looking left and we had lots of attacks. And again, I just wondered, are we got, how many of these chances are we going to butcher? We had the... Uh, I think we had one where we had a line out sort of in there, 22, Visa goes in, Wells gets driven sort of sideways, Evans starts to come into the game, gets a couple of key turnovers. The big one, of course, was another really nice midfield move um, off, I think, third phase, uh, off a good rolling ball, because the rolling ball has started to come into play at that point. We're starting to get some nice movement off it, and um, it might Brown gets just a bit of space, and Hassel Collins is free in acres out wide. And the kick is definitely on, it's the right decision, just wasn't quite executed well, which is a surprise to Mike Brown because, you know, he's got a good boot on him. You'd expect him to just push that A a little bit further so it's within Hassel Collins' sort of running line so he doesn't have to run in like he did and also, you know, put it end over end so it's not, you know, kind of like dragging along the floor on its side and that slowing down meant he, he had scoring. Great defence by Nick David again, great defence by Quinns, but again, sort of like I was left left wondering, have we got... Um, you know, more missed opportunities. But then, obviously, Mike Brown scores an absolute beauty and um, one, of, one of the best tries we've scored this season, I think. What I liked about it was so many nice moments in the interplay. Like, Lenny's come on. I thought Lenny, like we said before, sometimes he's just come off the bench as a nine and you get sometimes it, it's like you get unfair comparisons compared to Whiteley or to starting nine. I thought Lenny, to be fair to him, as that finisher in that role, had a real nice impact. He came on with fizzing the ball well and his distribution was pretty good. But it's a nice fizzing pass from him into Pollard. Pollard getting the ball wide. Real nice ball into Brown, into, not Brown, into DK, who's on the edge. He gets down the side. Second week in a row, DK, fair enough, like Austin said, he goes a little bit early. But second time in a row, where DK's done the crucial pass in the midfield with that link play to get it out to the guy outside. And then it's Hustle Collins, who, yeah, fair enough, he gets the ball not quite how he would have wanted it. But actually, he makes something of it. You know, that real powerful mm. drive to take out two that people first, first down the two middle. steps to get around the acceleration to get around Green as well is something that is really underrated because he's got big, long legs. And he just sort of extends out, doesn't he? And he just takes him away from Green. He's like, well, he's going to be here. And by the time Green gets there, he's not there. He's gone. And actually, I'd rather DK pass that, you know, a split second early than too late, you know, so... Uh, Hassel Collins has to stop and catch it. So I've got no problem with the pass. What I really liked about Lenny and what he did there was first he got, was that the breakdown quickly? No farting about and he, he whizzed the ball out, but he put it out wide and it was a three on three, I think, to start with. But because he puts it out as a wide pass and Pollard drifts on an outside arc onto it, it skips out one Harlequin's defender. So you've made yourself a three on two and that allows Polly to look up and in a fraction of a second, again, top-class player that he is, making that split decision to say, right, I'm missing out Brownie. Brownie does very well to keep his hands down because the ball whizzes about an inch from his tummy. 
And then, as you say, the rest of history, Hassel Collins, like real smarts, beautiful gallop inside, and then and then get, getting his hands free for Brown. He has a nice smirk uh, as well. But, I mean, Mike Brown also deserves a mention because I thought his industry, his work rate, I thought it was interesting that Handrow spent a lot of the time actually marauding down that wing. Mike Brown was just popping up fucking everywhere, you know, hitting rucks, being a, being an arsehole, making a nuisance of himself, finishing off tries. Um, he was sensational again, wasn't he? He's almost an extra flanker. Just at all, you know, at his industrial level, he's, he's just just been a nause and a nest nuisance and a pest. He was almost like an extra forward on the field. What I liked about Brownie's tries, there's a couple of things actually. One, um, it, it's almost a frustration with the, the attack coach situation because it just shows you that we've got the skill level on in the backs. It's not like we don't have talent there. We do. And that tries almost... And the, the, the first handover try against Lentz last week, again, a real nice manipulation of the space, spot an opportunity and then executing it. That was a real nice example of, yet again, a small little moment. It's a really good example of really good attack play and really good backs play. And we just, again, it's like the story of our attack this season. It comes in short bursts. You have like a nice moment and then there's a lot of bad stuff. It comes in a nice moment, a load of bad stuff. So the talent's there, and that's a frustrating point. The last point of Brown is just the awareness. It's the Chris Ashton thing. And it kind of it must come with experience and game after game after game at the high level of knowing where the ball's going to be. So all he does is do a Chris Ashton tracking line of just following the ball and making sure that he was there. So it's not even like Hassel Collins. He just, he just puts on a, can put it on a plate for him. So it's a great offload that goes into Brown. He doesn't have to check. He knows exactly where he's got to be. And he runs over for a, a pretty simple try. But it's a simple try that's come from, A, the good stuff that's come before it. And secondly, just game awareness and game experience that gets you in that moment. And I think Brownies are showing, you know, that real rugby smarts and just big game players, just knowing how to, the level of what you've got to be at and, it's, and just playing well and just knowing where you've got to be. Because it just, again, it's another game where, you miss a couple of boys in the back line. But Brownie steps up and it's that leadership role that he's doing. He's just such an intelligent player. And you can just tell that Monday to Friday, he must impart so much smart knowledge into the group and his leadership and just how he carries himself. And just to, to, the message of what he's seen. You know, if you play that much rugby at that level, you're going to see and you're going to know a lot of stuff. And just being able to impart that knowledge, even just doing the game, is so... I, it's, I've almost run out of things to say about him because he's just so brilliant. But uh, mm. yeah, I'm just so glad we've got him. He was just another example of why, why that contract is so well merited. Yeah, exactly. And it feels like he's at the club he should have been at all along. And I know that yeah. he had a wonderful career at Arlequins, but I mean, my goodness, he fits into the ethos of how we play so well. Love the smile he gave. He said he was eyeing, uh, you know, he looked at a Leicester fan when he did it. Uh, fair play to him for him for not going wild because I kind of had him pinned as being someone who might start leaping about uh, and and widening the crowd up, but he he did really well. the The last quarter obviously did get a little bit hairy. We've got another good penalty, smart moves to take the points. Definitely, I thought to take us out to that um, take us out to that six point lead, um, which as it as it turned out ended up being a crucial decision to take the points. I thought uh, we do start to look tired, as I mentioned before, because of effectively the games we've had to play, third game in 18 days as well, and at the end of this huge block. But we start to drop off a couple of times. I think, uh, you know, defensive alignment isn't quite so quick getting back round. Quinn's ruck speed increases a little bit. 
And I think Hammond goes through once and then he, he has, as a number eight, he's got to try and throw this miracle pass. Actually, if he was more confident, a kick probably would have been a better option. Uh, but Lenny intercepts it. Really, really good awareness by Lenny. But, you know, the warning signs were there. And I thought, actually, there were a couple of really smart subs. I thought Finn Carndoff coming on. Interestingly, playing in the second row, I thought Sam Carter would have been sort of off the bench for Heather Orb. Instead, it was Carndoff. Uh, and then Matt Rogerson as well. And both of them were going about making a hell of a lot of tackles. Uh, Carndoff in particular, I thought, you know, his first thing, I think he made two sort of tackles in about five seconds, one on Esther House, uh, one on Esther House, and then one on someone else, I think Chisholm sort of like running in at pace as well. Really low chop tackles, momentum killers. Um, there was an article in the Telegraph about him. He's been named England under 20 captain, uh, some talent. Yeah, absolutely. You can sort of tell with like the real special players in their sort of early experiences of, of of professional rugby, like in terms of Premiership rugby, so not Premiership Cup, but Premiership League rugby, in that the special players just take to it naturally straight away. And it's not to say that others that take a little bit longer aren't going to be special players, but their journey is going to be a little bit longer and they, they, will, they can still get there but it will take a period of time as they get up to speed and learn their trade and learn about the requirements at professional premiership level. We saw it with Stewart. You saw it with George Martin. You saw it with DK. Just take into professional premiership rugby straight off the bat and looking at home in there. And to me, Carnduff just looks at home. He looks comfortable with the physicality. He looks comfortable with what's been asked of him. He's comfortable making his tackles. And he just looks at home. And that, to me, is a real good sign in terms of easing him in. You've got to be careful with him because he's still only a young lad. He's only 19, I think. So you can't just throw him in constantly because he's going to get injuries. But in terms of that, he's there. You know, he's, he's there. He looks comfortable at his level. And he's already there. And he's 19, which means you can play him in games now, whether it's in the six games um, after shutdown or next season. You know, that's a real big thing. You talk about the squad and what the squad's going to look like suddenly you've got a six or a second row. I personally think he's better off starting at six. I think he will probably will end up in a six, but there's an awful lot of physical work that he's going to be going through. And he, he might well get to second row. But for now, I think how, I think he's a six. He's in that sort of hand-wrote Liebenberg mould of a line-out operator and real physical flanker and busy and his defensive work's excellent. He's good over the breakdown. We yeah. know, yeah, we've seen both in the Premiership Cup for us or in England and 20 duty, he's got a decent breakdown um, ability. So to me, it's a sign that we've got one. We've got a, it's another one out of the production line. And I don't want to give him too much praise because you don't want to almost create, like build him up so much that it creates an unfair thing for him. But to me, we've got another good one. He's going to be, he's there for us and he's already 19. Mm -hmm. So I'm really excited. Just a short little cameo. I think we've got one. Yeah, he's got he's got some filling out to do, that's for sure. But, you know, he, in terms of his mentality, he looks dead set. You know, he's not afraid of the physical contact at all. Big point of difference for him, and I said this online, was that he, he looks comfortable with the ball in his hands as well, which a lot of Tigers forwards either have to work at doing. You know, Martin is night and day compared to how he used to be with the ball in his hands. He looks comfortable with it now, whether that's, you know, pulling the ball back or, you know, carrying kind of less of a physical presence on the carry, but does well in those wider channels. And I've seen him put in, certainly for England under-20s, some 
beautiful sort of miss passes, double pumps. I've even seen a couple of those uh, out the back. So you've got a smart player. He reads the game well. Um, you know, he could be, as, as you say, I think I agree with you, potentially sort of looking at that six role long term could be a real, real star for us. So uh, again, well done, Finn. I thought you were fantastic. Um, last quarter, I think it's fair to say, you know, we started to hang on, as I mentioned before, a little bit. Um, we got a bit of a reprieve when Max, Max Green did this bizarre kick off the line out that was 15 metres out, which Shilly read really, really well. Uh, I think that was actually off the back of Shilly's only mistake of the game, which was uh, slicing out a kick sort of straight on the full when he was trying to do an up and under. Um, aside from that, I thought he was excellent at fullback. Um, it then comes to this you know, last two minutes and we have this scrum and it's our ball. We've been solid on our own ball all game. And I think... Adam and Tom on Radio Leicester were saying, oh, we've, we've kept that ball in there to try and waste time. I don't think we did. Now, I was say, Montage wasn't really hooking all, all game because we were under a huge amount of pressure. What actually happens if you look at it, the ball sort of goes back quite gently because, again, it's not a massive hook. It's just about sort of like almost tapping it back. Goes to our second rows and the channel isn't clear and it sort of bounces back. It's actually under Whitcomb's feet and Whitcomb is probably under the most pressure there and what he's trying to do then is almost try and hook it back himself. And as soon as he takes that step off, this isn't Wickham's fault at all, by the way. He's doing his best to try and get the ball back. Uh, but as soon as he takes one foot off, obviously Dylan Lewis, international tight end, 50-plus Wales caps, just piles straight through him and, and Quinn's get the ball absolutely fair and square. And from that, you know, again, sort of slightly slow to reset defence. The Ollie House of Collins perhaps leaving a bit of a wider gap than he needs to. Polly sort of jumps in, I think, you know, in panic at this half break when perhaps he should have Again, treaded water, but either way, you know, half chance turned into a full chance. Um, and Tyrone Green gets a deserved try, uh, really smart as well. He doesn't pass the ball, um, because obviously that would have made the conversion even harder. He tries to get in closer to make the conversion easier. And then we come down to the kick. Um, always hard to celebrate a miss that gives you a win. Doesn't happen very often. It, it wasn't a gimme. But I wasn't holding out much hope for him in missing because he had he had nailed one from the touchline earlier, hadn't he? It's the sort of kick that should be taken and normally it, is taken. 80, 85% of the time, he, he probably gets that. Yeah. I'd probably say even closer to 90. Just It's, just, it's one of those kicks where it's the one in 10. For whatever reason, he doesn't get the clean connection. It doesn't go straight. It goes off to the right. Whether it's the pressure, whatever it is, it just doesn't go for, for him. Uh, but I think we are with a bit of luck. You know, I, I think Michaela sort of said about it in the game. He sort of said we've not had some of the luck go our way. And I do think, you know, we are owed some good fortune from the rugby gods. I mean, you know, we'll go into next week when we do the form. But our season had been affected by the World Cup. There's no way, two ways about that. And the stats are starting to bear that out a little bit you know we had a bit of a duff call go against us in the sale game it's little moments all throughout the season where mm. just the rub of the green or things haven't quite gone our way to bounce the ball or whatever wherever it is we just need a bit of good fortune that goes our way and that was it and so you get you just need that in a season and actually we were a better team i think we we're a better team on the night yeah it shouldn't have come down to <laughs> relying on you know getting in up jared evans's eye line to, to, to put him off but as I say, these things do happen, and we, it was just nice. And it's actually, I'm not even trying to overanalyze it. We rode a bit of good luck. We got some. We got a win. You know what? It is what it is. We'll take it and run. 
I was having this conversation with my dad. He, he got a bit pissed off with Austin saying, oh, you know, we've all got four leaf clovers in our shoes. We're very lucky. Uh, and he said, oh, I thought we were the better team. I, th- I said, well, I think two things can be true at once. thought we were the better team. thought we deserved to win. But I also think we were lucky to win just because of the way it panned out, you know, um, that obviously he missed that kick. And, you know, sort of as a, a very amateur goal kicker, somebody takes, uh, has taken a lot of place kicks in my time, 60% in Kent Division 2. You don't get ratio like that without missing a few fucking sitters. But the worst one I missed actually was straight in front of the post when usually I, I just sort of take a step back and knock it up with one step. But I remember our captain telling me, I want you to waste time on this take the full minute and actually that meant I had to go basically do my whole run up and I meant I overthought it and you know pressure is strange but one thing I always found myself and I know that he's a far far better kicker and obviously he's a professional but I always found that if you were hooking it it was generally because you either way if you're under pressure you end up doing two things and both involve rushing it either you take your steps a little bit too quickly um, when you're in the run-up or you overextend on your step. So by the time you get to the ball, it can only be a fraction, but you're you're slightly over it and it means that you're more likely to hook it. Or you you basically bring your foot through it a little bit too quickly. And when you do that, you're obviously more likely to slice it very, very slightly off to the right. And I think that's what he did there just by having a replay of it. I mean, it's a tough gig. You know, he's just come back from injury. He's a good player. Um, but you know those those are the the key moments on games. Like I say, I think we were we were owed a bit of luck from previous games uh, to win it. So deserved win. Great defence at the end. You know, forcing them to try and do something special. Really sensible. No hero defences. Um, and I think that um, yeah, we deserve to win. Right on that. Shall we go to some th- three word reviews? You've been scouring Twitter. Unlucky. What have you found? This one from uh, Andrew Salter to start off with. Joyous fine margins. Yeah, really enjoy. Uh, this would and actually, yeah, rugby does come down sometimes in games to real fine margins. And this one, as we just mentioned, was a a real. He didn't miss that kick by much, and there's only a, a few inches between that mm. going the other. There's only a few inches between um, death and glory, and it went our way. So as the fine margins go, yeah, Andrew, I'm, I'm with you on that one. That is a real joy, joyous one to go in our favour. If we'd have got it. Uh, if he'd have got it, we'd have just uh, retaken the restart and Polly would have hit a lovely drop goal that was 100 times better than his attempted one when he definitely knew he had the advantage. Hmm. 100%. Yeah, it'd have been a 50-yard drop goal. Yeah, easy peasy. Um, Simon Smith, like this, Richardson stood up and I think that's that's a really yeah. nice way of putting it. He just stood up, did what was asked of him. Um, yeah, top marks to him. Yeah, definitely. Really, uh, really good to see. This one from Joe Faint, a friend of the show. Uh, backs look better. Yeah, I, I agree with said, as we said before. Real nice balance to our game um, Friday night. Real nice to see. Just a bit of a, it was just the ambition, if nothing else. Really wanting to push the ball, get the ball out wide, get it out wide quickly, get Ollie Hassel Collins into better positions or more favourable positions. So, look, it's a game. We've got six, seven weeks to get our attack sorted. We've got a lot of work to be done on that area. But that's a real nice sort of foundation game to almost go into in terms of just going, look, that's a real good position to re-pick it back up from. So if there's a lot of improvement needed, but as we said, there's there's some talent there. We've just got to get the best out of it. Execution still needs a fair bit of work, but the ambition, I agree, was was really good to see. 
Um, Ian Morton, finally, as always, with you know, kind of a mic drop, three um, three words. He's very good at these. Grit, resilience, fortune. Sounds like sort of a, a Latin maxim, doesn't it, for some sort of like army regiment? But um, I think that's that's pretty much spot on. We, we showed a lot of the first two, and we did have to have a dollop of fortune at the end. But you know, like I said, I think we deserved it, and uh, a good win, uh, all all things told. Massively agreed. Okay, that's the end of this week's podcast. No preview, of course, this time, because we've got no game next week while the boys are on holiday. Very well-deserved holiday. We do have next week, however, a bit of a forum, as I mentioned earlier, with ourselves and some of the other sort of like... I don't want to sound too arrogant by saying established Leicester Tigers commentators, but fuck it, we've got a podcast. We'll be talking to Adam Whitty, we'll be talking to John Whiffin, we'll also hopefully be talking to Ethan Clamp as well, just to sort of mark how the season's gone and look at what Tigers need to improve on. I think I've been nominated as moderator for that, haven't we? Yes, as, as someone who can keep us in line. So, um, But if, just on that, if there's anything you want us to be talking about or some topics, because uh, we're too lazy, we don't want to think of ideas ourselves. If there's any questions that you or burning hot takes that you want us to be discussing, chuck them over and we'll, um, we'll put, we're obviously planning the episode. We're hoping to get as much sort of tigerish chat done as possible. Um, yeah, let's hear your thoughts. Let's see if we can put it into the plan. Indeed, good idea. And therefore, if there are any shit takes, we can just blame the listeners rather than ourselves. Anything that gets me out of it. Uh, Looking at myself and analysing is there. Uh, yeah, anything that gets you out of being cancelled. Exactly. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. Please remember to leave a rating, like, review, subscribe, all that shit. See you next time. Mm-hmm.